Are you hesitating to take the next step in your e-commerce journey? Founder Plus has you covered with proven frameworks tailored to your business needs for fast results, a supportive community of over 30,000 like-minded entrepreneurs and weekly live mentorship sessions. Founder Plus is your key to success. Try Founder Plus today for just $1 for seven days and start building your dream business with confidence. You can visit founder.com forward slash start dollar trial or click the link in the description to claim your trial. Hey, Founder Fam, before we dive into another incredible conversation, I want to share something really special with you. Whether you're just joining us or you've been following us since the beginning, you've been a critical part of our community working to change entrepreneurial education. I started Founder almost a decade ago with the mission to provide entrepreneurs access to the world's greatest business leaders. Our goal was to break down barriers to entrepreneurial education, and that's taken us on a journey from Founder Magazine to this podcast and beyond, and today marks the next step in that journey, Founder Plus. I'm proud to introduce you to Founder Plus, which is an all-access pass to each of our online courses and programs and their proven frameworks for success. It puts every strategy we've compiled from world-class instructors at your fingertips while connecting you to a global network of like-minded entrepreneurs. Founder Plus will take your business to the next level for today and tomorrow. So whether you've just joined our family or you've watched us grow from humble beginnings, we're really thrilled to have you join us in this exciting new phase of making the founder brand and this company the world's best entrepreneurial community to launch and grow your business. So finally, before we get into today's episode, I'm inviting you to come back, check out Founder Plus and go to founder.com forward slash membership. I'm really excited, guys. This is an incredible new evolution of entrepreneurial education, and our mission is really to get as many of these founders that we interview to teach and also give back on the Founder Plus platform and really go more in depth with the knowledge and the experiences and the lessons learned that they're sharing all in Founder Plus. So guys, please go check it out if you're enjoying these interviews. That's it from me. I hope you enjoy this episode. Now let's jump in. What you need is thirst. You need to be a thirsty human. Who is intent on learning. It's a really fascinating fascinating exploration of human potential. Now. 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 The Founder Podcast. Even the greatest entrepreneurs had help. If you want to learn from the most successful founders on the planet, you are in the right place. Branson, Mark Cuban, Tony Robbins, Tim Ferriss, Ariana Huffington, Steve Case, Gary V, Sophia Amoroso, Barbara Corcoran, Damon John. Learn from the greatest minds in business today with interviews hosted by Nathan Chan. This is not your average entrepreneur podcast. The Founder Podcast. Today, we're speaking with Holly Thagard, founder of Supergoop, which is the first protective skincare brand that put SPF at the forefront. In 2007, she started Supergoop on the side to share the importance of skincare and solve the problem of incorporating SPF products in makeup. And in our conversation, we discuss bootstrapping a skincare business before Instagram, how to develop an incredibly successful physical product and really a ton of other advice on founders in their early stages starting a physical product business. So please welcome to the Founder Podcast, Holly Thagard. First question I ask everyone that comes on is, how did you get your job, aka how did you find yourself doing the work you're doing today? 
you know, I the truth is I've always loved to create. I've always loved to build. Um, my parents are both entrepreneurs. And um, and I thought, though, out of college, I wanted to be a school teacher. So it was actually doing a very different um, job. Um, and it was it was very short, <laughs> one year in the third grade school classroom. And I guess if I could tell myself something now, it would be that, you know, I'm still teaching. I just have a much larger audience than 17 eight-year-olds. <laughs> um, but I, it was um, actually, I felt very claustrophobic in the classroom. And I really questioned at the moment, like what, I went to school to be a teacher. Um, I loved education and um, I couldn't, you know, I couldn't believe my, my career was over almost before it started. But I spent the next 10 years pursuing um, harp, building the business of Holly the harpist. I had a um, maternal grandmother that was a harpist and I played from fifth grade up and um, I made a living throughout my 20s uh, performing. And And it was then that my friend was diagnosed with skin cancer. My college roommate was going through a residency in dermatology and she said, Holly, it's not about beaches and bikinis. It's about that every single day, little bit of exposure that's cumulative. And for your friend, it happened at a very young age. For most people, it doesn't happen until much later in life. Um, but the truth of the matter is this was in, you know, 2001 to 2003, and people weren't wearing sunscreen every single day. And because I had parents that were entrepreneurial, and they always sort of taught us to look for the white space and things and make the world a better place and do things that haven't been done before, um, and I looked at the category and it was so incredibly sleepy, Nathan. It was like there was no innovation at all in SPF and UV broad spectrum protection in particular. And I it was then I literally started, you know, dreaming about SPF and figuring out crazy ways to get it into everyone's routine so that it became um, a luxurious experience and not a chore, not something that they had to do when they were headed to the beach. Um, so I really, you know, it's for me a lot about the journey of, you know, starting that moment in the third grade classroom and then later reflecting when my friend was diagnosed on the um, concept of we were not teaching our youth to wear SPF. And never once did I even see a tube of sunscreen on the school campus, yet we were out there in the middle of the day um, under the sun and often staying in after school sports. And so... Um, it was it was that one short year, those eight months in the classroom that, you know, 10 years later, almost um, inspired me to create a new category in the industry. Yeah, there you go. So you started Supergoop, was it 2007? Well, I started down this journey in more like 2004 or five. What I saw in the market at the time was um was no innovation and every chemical formula had oxybenzone in it. So my mother's a two-time breast cancer survivor and and uh, through my research I learned that oxybenzone was actually found in breast cancer tissue. And so if every chemical formula in the country had oxybenzone in it and I wanted everyone everywhere to wear SPF every single day, it was I it, you know I couldn't with good faith encourage that with an oxybenzone um, derived formula. So I really spent several years uh, back in 2004 and five um, finding the chemists that I needed to work on this world's first 
chemical formula with no oxybenzone because I know when kids are outside in sports and sweating and swimming, they really needed um, a formula that would absorb into their skin and not trap the heat into their body. And um, I did a lot of just research online. It was really very self-taught. And um, and the original idea, truth be told, was to put this magic formula into school classrooms across America. And that didn't work out. But um, uh, at the moment, it didn't work out. Um, very proud of our ounce by ounce giving program now. But that's we can talk more about that later. <laughs> how did it start? Like, how do you, how do you create a beauty brand from nothing? Like, how did you even bring that to life? Talk to me around the original idea and what happened and like how long it took. And yeah. So you said you, you were kind of formulating by like in 2005. Yeah, I was formulating and I was writing a school curriculum. You remember I was a teacher. So I, I loved that eighth grade class of 17. I mean, that third grade class of 17 kiddos. Um, and the original idea for this brand was to first formulate a product. And I knew it had to be a product because the product didn't exist that I felt good about um, encouraging everyone to wear every single day. And um, so I started by writing a curriculum and and knocking on school doors and talking to parent councils and, and trying to convince everyone that children needed access to SPF in the school day. And I quickly learned that um, SPF is an over-the-counter drug, as it should be regulated by the FDA, because it's actually doing something for your skin. Um, but because of such, it was prohibited on school campuses across America. And so um, I, I, I taught my one-year teaching was in a private school, and I knew that the private schools didn't really have to follow the same rules and regulations that public schools did. So I started knocking on private school doors and talking to everyone that would listen about how badly Supergoop was needed in the classroom. And, you know, it, it, well, that program took off and I had six schools um, throughout Louisiana and Texas and the United States, it became very obvious to me that it was going to be difficult to scale. And I've always had this vision to literally change the way the world thinks about sunscreen. And I knew that if I was going to accomplish that in my lifetime, I knew that I had to figure out how to scale this brand in a different way than knocking on one by one school doors. Um, and, you know, along the way too, my passion project has definitely been in changing the state laws that exist around SPF in schools in America. Um, I've, I've never missed an opportunity to be on Capitol Hill and talking to the Congress and, and representatives that, and, and really it's bringing awareness to this because nobody until Supergoop actually cared about SPF in the United States. And so everyone's always shocked to actually learn that it is prohibited on school campuses. And knowing that SPF, no matter how generously you apply it at 7 a.m., by noon and especially after school at 5 p.m. in sports, um, it's ineffective. So sun damage is inevitable. We're putting our children on the playground um, with a carcinogen above them and no way, no means of how to protect. So um, that was really the early, early days. And when I realized that that wasn't scalable in my lifetime and I had this strong vision to change the way the world thinks about sunscreen, I had to pivot and then learn the business of retail. Mm. So I want to talk about that Sephora story. But before we get to that, let's talk about kind of how much did it start? Like how much did it cost to start and do your first batch? And like, how did you even 
get your first sale? Was it was it through that that program that you talked of through 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 schools, or was it actually through retail and and the Sephora? Yeah, and that was also another you know really um, pivotal moment I think in our brand is realizing that schools have oftentimes trouble buying pencils, and so convincing schools to actually fund a program like this where not many people even believed we needed to wear SPF during the school day um, was a, was going to be a big challenge. And it was also going to be a challenge that I hadn't built the um, expertise in SPF yet to, as a brand to allow parents to feel comfortable with their children putting a product called Super Goop onto their children's skin every single day. The brand had no um, reputation yet. We had we we were not known as the experts in SPF that we are today. So there were many reasons why that program failed, and um, and I, I I don't really say it failed because I think that you know this is important for founders to know. It's all about the journey, right? It's about the little single things that happen across a long period of time that are cumulative. And when you're, you know, when you're really doing great things, it happens, um, it, it happens drip by drip. You don't fill the whole bucket. And, you know, there are definitely little wins along the way that are inspiring and they, they help, um, they help keep things interesting and exciting. But when you're building truly wonderful things, you have to be ready for the journey. You have to be ready for just being completely inspired by those little wins along the way. So when, um, you know, when I realized that I had to change directions in my school program and, and build this brand um, through retail, which, you know, at the time in 2005, six, seven, DTC didn't really even exist. Um, but I also was recognized by the American Academy of Dermatology for that school program that I wrote, which is tiny as it was, um, with with a nice award, and it's it's those little wins that kind of keep you inspired to keep going and figure out which way you're going to pivot to to continue um, on with your vision. So, yeah, it was probably 2007. So then I started thinking about, and you know, the brand name at the time. If you, if I took you back to 2005, there were no fun, playful skincare brands. Everything was really serious, doctor driven. The packaging had how big your molecule was and how high your clinicals were and what doctor's name was on the packaging for credibility. And so the name Supergoop um, was a first in its kind. And now, you know, you look at the world and there's all kinds of crazy names in skincare and beauty industry. Um, but it was it was truly that we were the pioneer in in delivering efficacious, serious science backed formulas um, in, a, in a fun, playful spirit. And the reason behind that was that I knew that with children, you had to, um, I wanted this to be their ticket to get outside, right? I wanted, I, and it's definitely easier to form healthy habits with young children than it is to teach consumer behavior change in an adult. Something, you know, for example, a 45-year-old's never been wearing SPF, trying to get them to change their attitude and and wear SPF every single day is much harder than when you're talking to a class of kindergartners and you say, we wash our hands, we wear our helmets, we put our seatbelts on, and we wear our SPF. So I knew that the reason behind my name, um, being playful, was totally laddering up to you know raising a generation of children that understood this was a, a non-compromising, um, healthy habit that they needed to partake in. So 
you know, it was really um, it was really for me a natural first step at retail to look at those children's boutique retailers that could help tell my story and could help really um, explain what we're all about. And at the time and now defunct, of course, but Giggle in the U.S. was this beautiful curated children's boutique retailer that had a dozen or so stores across America they gave me the national distribution for the press that was needed. And I had learned through my research that it's hard to hire a PR firm in New York if, if you don't have that national distribution. And, and uh, FAO Schwartz was another big influencer in the kids' space in New York City. And they loved inviting me into the store on the weekends to literally stand there and talk with every person that would come by about, hey, I know you've got your stroller and your little kid's piano, but like, have we figured out the SPF they're going to wear their entire life? And so I started learning the business of retail through kids boutique retail. And, um, but I also at the same time, and this is really an important thing to note is that I, I realized that kids, and at this time I had had my daughter who is now 18 um, but she, you know, I knew she was kind of watching everything that my husband and I were doing. And so I knew that if we were going to inspire children to start embracing this habit, we had to also um, we had to also really model this good behavior. So the packaging, everything start, sort of took shape by keeping it sophisticated and clean and a white space and keeping um protecting the image of the brand and the packaging so that dad could pull it out of his golf bag on the golf course or mom could have it on her beauty counter and children would see the same sort of look of packaging that they were trying to instill in their children. And so when I thought about retail in that way, I thought, well, so we have Giggle, we have FAO Schwartz, we have these beautiful Pottery Barn kids, we have these beautiful children's retailers that are behind us in our mission but how do we balance that with retail in America that's going to reach that mindful explorer, that dad, that mom that's willing to do skincare a little bit differently? And at the time, I, I thought about that being um, the Barney's consumer. And unfortunately, Barney's is no longer anymore today. But um, but Barney's had a wonderful presence in, you know, all the major cities in America and um, and it, yet it was still small enough for me to be able to go every week and spend my weekend standing on the floor in those nine or 10 Barney's New York stores and talking to those parents that were willing to think about things differently. I mean, in America, you didn't really go to Barney's if you wanted to buy what was at every department store. You went to like find something a little different. And uh, and so that was kind of for 2007 I'd say 2007, 8, 9, 10, um, I was really focused on those retail partners that I could personally, the company was still just me at the time. I was do I was head of everything. And uh, and so I had to focus on those retailers that were influential in every major city in the US, but that also weren't so large that it it prohibited me from being able to show up, tell my story take everyone in the skincare beauty department to lunch and 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 bring on you know an army of people that were willing to um spread my message and and get behind the brand itself mm. so talking about retail tell me your sephora story what happened my sephora story so um it turns out lucky me the skincare buyer at sephora was a new mom 
And she stumbled upon my brand at Giggle in San Francisco, where their corporate headquarters are. And she thought it was really interesting. And everyone in the Giggle store knew my story. They knew how passionate I was about this and and did as I had hoped and shared that story with her. She took my products back to Sephora Corporate and um, she passed them around. And she said, this is interesting. This is a brand that's very different. Nothing like it in Sephora at the time. Everything was serious, science, doctor-driven brand. And yet this is a playful brand with serious science-backed technology behind it, doing something good for the world. She passed it around, called the number on the packaging, which happened to be my cell phone, of course, um, because I wanted anybody anywhere to be able to reach directly to me wow. um, to talk about to talk about, and I still, it's funny, Nathan, I still sometimes get phone calls on my cell phone, <laughs> which has not changed. And I'm like, throw that away. It's expired. <laughs> like, if you tell me you found my number on the packaging, it's not been there for a very long time. There you go. But yeah, so she called and she said, you know, I think that um, what you're doing is really interesting, Holly. And she said, we're interested I think you probably need to grow up a little. And again, the company is still, I was packing the boxes. I was doing all the stuff. Um, I was even delivering to some of our retail in Dallas with the baseball cap and, you know, coming in the back door, trying to hide who I was to the to the buyers in the front of um, Stanley Korshak, I think it was. So I, I uh, literally had to start thinking about, um, you know, the harder things, how are you going to get press? If you're going to survive in Sephora, you have to be in the books. And this is before social media. This was before influencers. This was before um, most of what we know about that is in marketing today. Um, so it was all about how much press are you going to get in the magazines? And I didn't have a PR firm um, at the time. And she said, you know, but when you're ready, when you feel like you're ready and you can you know, the numbers are pretty high. The inventory is pretty expensive. Um, the packaging's expensive. Everything. My husband and I were just self-funding. I was taking harp jobs whenever I could to pay for super goop tubes. And and uh, and so, you know, we um, we started we started, you know, thinking about how we were going to actually continue to scale this business. Now, the business was still growing aggressively. We were doubling, tripling in size. Um, so, those numbers were small at the time. They were like, we went from, I think, gosh, well, I think our first year when we were only in those handful of schools, we did like 45,000. The second year we did like 150. Then we scaled that to 500, then that to 900. Then we hit the, you know, so we were still pretty small. Um, but knowing that a launch in Sephora was going to cost us something, you know, I, um, I, Went to my father. I went to my brother, who was was um, had moved out of college to New York and had started a pretty successful business and um, had seen my passion and dedication to the brand and um, and he, you know he said they they gave me the money that I needed at the moment um, but you know we had to have that I think every founder's like terrible Thanksgiving story where I'm like I want to do one more kids trade show before I call Sephora back and and uh and I had not been able to secure a PR firm um and so that was kind of on my list that I couldn't call them back until I had and I went to that trade show ended up this is this craziest story I ended up advocating to sit in the natural and organic section of this trade show 
um, because I felt like we're so mindful of our ingredient choices. We were the first formula in the world without oxybenzone or parabens or propylene glycol or all of these controversial ingredients. We were clean before clean was kind of a thing. And, uh, and so I advocated to be in what was called the like organic natural section. Well, I got to this Vegas trade show and the entire floor of organics and was like really granola and very like everything was vanilla looking and it was just very like homegrown knitted socks and all kinds of like. And then upstairs at the trade show were all these beautiful, clean, white brands that were like crushing it and everybody wanted to be upstairs. And I was, you know, kind of moving through this trade show for five or six days and thinking about how important it was that I, I you know, scale and bring home an, a bigger um, account. And at the end of the trade show, um, it was really slow, especially on the natural and organics department. And uh, but I, I learned to knit from this lady next to me. And she, um, you know, it was also a real slow show for her. And so we sat there and knitted when nobody was walking the show. And and on the last day, someone walked up to me as we were like breaking down the booths and everything. And they said, wow, you've gotten really close to Roxanne Quimby. And I and I knew the name, of course. Um, I was like, wait, what? And I didn't know that she was Roxanne Quimby. And then they were like, well, you know, the the she's the founder of Burt's Bees. And I, you know, immediately marched right over there. And I'm like, how did how did you knit with me for five days and not tell me that you were the founder of Burt's Bees, who, of course, later sold a, earlier sold to Clorox. And she was a happy green bee making her little knitted socks and and uh, enjoying the conversation from, from me. And she said, well, Holly, I really just wanted to hear about your vision and your brand without you knowing who I was. Um, but I love what you're doing and I want to help you. How can I help? And, you know, I always say this to founders, too. I'm like, you've got to put yourself out there and be the places. If I hadn't been in that natural and organics and realized that instead of beating yourself up for like, that was not the right place I should have been. I should have been upstairs with all the beautiful white brands. Um, you know, I would have never met Roxanne. And, and she said, how can I help you? And I said, I need a PR firm. I can't get anybody's attention in New York to save my life because I need to launch in Sephora. They're interested. And I, you know, it's, it's just really hard for me in Dallas to to have the interest of a big beauty PR firm when I was still a pretty small brand. I mean, on the way to the airport in Vegas that day, I get a call from Nancy Berman, who was um, a Berman PR, the biggest beauty PR firm in New York. She said, I just got off the phone with Roxanne Quimby. I launched Birch Bees. And she said that I really need to spend some time with you. I'd like to come to Texas. Yeah. Wow. And then it all ended up working out. Well, I said, um, actually, I'm going to be in New York next week interviewing PR firms because I didn't want her to think she was the only show in the game. I needed her to understand there was competition, even though there was not. Um, but I felt with that meeting that I had secured, I could I could actually get a few more meetings. And I did. I called her ex-partner, Trachtenberg. I called like every other beauty publicist and said, I'm going to be in New York next week um, interviewing for a publicist and I'd love to set up a meeting. And I ended up getting five or six different meetings over the course of a few days. I grabbed my brother, my my sister, my husband, every anybody, because it was still just me kind of trying to figure this all out. 
And uh, just so that we had people to sit in the room and listen and help kind of weigh in on things, um, it turned out that Nancy Berman just really rolled out the red carpet and, um, or I should say yellow carpet, because she was completely on brand and and right for my vision and and really excited to take us on like none of the other firms that I interviewed were and willing to take a chance on a brand that really just at the time had, you know, nine or 10 Barney's New York stores, FAO Schwartz and a few kids giggle boutiques. And so, um, so it was a really exciting time because that allowed me then to build my press book, which was, I guess, like 2009, 10, um, so that I could go back to Sephora. Hey guys, I hope you're enjoying this episode and learning a ton. As you know, in this series, we interview some of the greatest founders of our generation to find out how they did it. However, if you're thinking of starting your own business and you want to hear from some incredible stories from everyday people like you or I who are actually in the trenches, only been building their business for maybe one year or two years, like that are building right now and they're really in the early stages, but they're getting success you should come and check out our new podcast, From Zero to Founder, hosted by our community manager, Molly Flynn. These are in-the-trenches stories from our very own successful students that have gone through some of our programs. People just like you who are deep within the process of building their very own successful business. These are the founders of tomorrow. You can find the From Zero to Founder podcast on all platforms. And remember, it's founder without the E. All right. So Holly, I'd love to talk a little bit more about product development um, and also solving problems. Something that you've spoken about before is solving a problem that the customer didn't know existed. What do you mean by that? Yeah. I mean, I think that nobody, we've had to, you know, we had to educate first and we spent quite a few years when I started building my team talking about why SPF before we could even talk about why Supergoop, because people didn't feel like they needed to be wearing sunscreen every single day. So, you know, education, you know, I was a teacher, make the world a better place. My dad's advice, don't do things that have been done before. All of these kind of checked the boxes on what I felt was going to be the, the real, um, the real foundation for this brand. And so, yeah, I had to, I had to, I, for many years, we were talking YSPF. And, and now as we enter other countries, we're going in, gosh, into Dubai in the fall. We just launched 19 countries in Europe. We're finding that every country is even in a different stage of what they know and what they, what they feel um, healthy habits are. And, and so we have to really look closely at, um, at how, where they are in their journey so that we can then help them realize the importance and then um, then we can talk about why Supergoop. So when it comes to, I guess, starting out, what, what advice would you give to founders, especially when it comes to product development? Like, because it, you talk about D2C, you said that it wasn't what it, nowhere what it is. It wasn't even really a thing. Now it seems like there's so many direct-to-consumer brands out there in the marketplace or launching what would you say to founders when it comes to product development, even in the beauty brand space? You know, I think you can't manufacture authenticity and that you should have a reason for being. Don't get into the beauty industry because you have a following on Instagram and you want to sell something and beauty is fun. 
you know, really need a big point of difference. If you're going to if you're going to build something sustainable and long lasting and scalable and that a brand that Blackstone is going to be interested in or, you know, um, you really have to do something different. And and so always creating ways in which to get SPF into everyone, everywhere's every single day routine literally changing the way the world thinks about sunscreen, help waking up in the morning to help build an enviable SPF wardrobe in everyone's routine. I mean, still today, my favorite days are spent in stores talking to Sephora, talking to Ulta, talking to the to the people that are working in the store, talking to people that are coming in through the door about our brand, our point of difference, why we exist. I think you have to have a real, real clear, um, game-changing, innovative idea that's going to make this world a better place. And if you have that, I think you can, you know, do what every entrepreneur and founder has to do, which is have grit, because that is definitely the most important part of, you know, the last 18 years of my life. Um, If I had, in fact, uh, right up here, I have the grit award at Sephora that was given to one brand in their entire store over the years. But, you know, when we launched in Sephora, we were offered this fancy end cap, 12 weeks of summer, Holly, um, after I, you know, rewind and I went back to them and said, hey, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready. I've got the press. I want to talk. And they came back to me and and said, you know, we're going to we're going to build this out. And, you know, I had to fly back and sit down and have that seriously hard conversation because I needed that account. Um, we, you know, and and. I said, I need to make sure our products look as beautiful in the dead of winter as on the 4th of July. And if, you know, that meant scaling down to six inches of space, let me show you how I can be productive. Because Nathan, when you're trying to de-seasonalize a category and all the retailers are blowing it up in the summer and then pulling it all back off the shelf in September, you're never going to get this year round. And that's why it's so helpful I think, too, for founders to have a, have their values on paper. I mean, if we're about every single day, that means we are going to look as beautiful on the shelf at Christmas as on the 4th of July. And so I needed retail partners that believed in that, that believed that over time, drip by drip, step by step, we were going to get there. It was just going to take the grit. And, and you know, like I always say to my team, can't stop, won't stop. And, and, and you know, I needed those retail partners that would believe in that. And it's actually how I, I knew Sephora was the right first big national partner for us because they said, come on back out. We sat down and they built a new, an entirely new space on the wall called Skincare Favorites. And they gave like 25 brands, two skews, six inches of space, exactly what I had kind of alluded to asking for. And, uh, Pick your two favorite SKUs and Holly, you're promised 365 days. We will not take you off shelf, which I kind of know now. I don't think many retailers will give you a one year space on the shelf. Um, but that's what I that's what I felt like I needed to show them that our productivity as a brand. Th- these were not formulas that I was dreaming about that women would start wearing in the summer while that's an easy time to come into our brand and, and adapt that product, they weren't going to put them in the drawer come fall. And, uh, and that, that was really our start to the, to the Sephora business. And the, one of the most rewarding things I think now going into Sephora is just seeing walls of yellow and 
multiple, you know, six, eight shelves. And as we've been able to continue in that product innovation. And so I bring that up because you asked me about what it means for, you know, what is somebody that wants to get into the beauty industry? You have to have that point of difference because if you're just doing another cleanser and you're just doing another moisturizer, there's too many of them already on the market and you won't stand the test of time. Find out what that point of difference is for your product and then grow it slowly and be ready for the journey. I mean, I'm, I mentioned my daughter. I was pregnant when I started dreaming about SPF. She's going to college next year at SMU. So she's um, been a part of this from, from day one, literally. And, uh, and I think that it's only when you have that, that really major point of difference and that grit and determination to not stop that really great things are built. And ultimately, you know, we know for our consumer, um, our biggest competition is people not wearing sunscreen, right? They're, they're still not wearing it every day. They're still only thinking about it um, when they're at the beach. And, and so, you know, we really, um, but we also have done our research today as our team's grown to, I think we're at about 160 between New York and San Antonio, um, our office in Singapore, and we have an office, small office in Paris now. Um, but our, as as we've grown and scaled, we've done our research and we know that Supergoop customers, 100% of our Supergoop customers that buy from our products, um, 75% of them wear it every single day. And I think it's even like a little larger than that where two or three of our products layered every day. So, you know, we really are seeing the change happen. Um, we just have to keep going. So it's incredible. So... I'm curious as well, can you tell me around how you met Marie, Maria Sharapova, how she came into the fold and is uh, part of the business too? Oh, absolutely. And I, I, you know, Maria and I still text quite a bit. She's still involved when she can help out. Um, but it was really authentic and organic. She, um, you know, competed at, at, in Australia at the Australia Open and spent a month there every January. And the only product that didn't burn her eyes or itch or irritate her skin and get in the way of her game um, was Supergoop. She found it at Sephora. She asked her agent to call. He got in touch with me. He said, Maria is smitten with your play sunscreen, your play Supergoop, which means it's literally named so that you can get out for a hard day of play. And uh, and he said she's never been able to wear any other sunscreen and have it and, and not be concerned that her game wouldn't be compromised. And she wants to get involved. And, you know, I at the time, you know, had to literally Google her name and uh, I Googled her name with the word sunscreen. And she had for years been talking about how important SPF was. Her mother started teaching her at a very young age that if she was going to be on the courts every day, she had to protect her skin. And uh, now if you Google her name and sunscreen supergroup comes and fall over the place. But uh, we were actually doing our friends and family round of capital raising um, that year. And so we had a capital raise that was going on and she wanted to jump in and she said, how can I help? And, you know, she's helped me along the way and in many different ways. But so have so many others that we have so many um Gosh, from Lady Gaga to Brooke Shields to Katie Couric to Martha Stewart. You know, we have so many celebrity fans that have just stumbled upon our products because 
we're solving a problem in this world. We're giving people a beautiful, luxurious experience in wearing SPF. And it doesn't feel like traditional SPF. It doesn't burn your eyes. It makes your skin glow. It, you know, we're doing something different. And I think that's why we have organically found so many celebrities that have just really embraced and been along for the ride and and uh, and wanted to help, honestly. And so many of them, I mean, I'm sitting here, if you could look under my desk here, I have over 170 letters I'm writing for this summer because I am just so grateful for all of the help that we're getting. You know, they're all just very um, happy to help grow a brand that's this authentic. And so, you know, I think another, you know, real key to our success is that has been that grateful spirit that that I have. I'm from the South and um, and I have just as many letters as that I write, you know, to the people on my team because it is not lost on me that now, you know, I did it for so many years alone and and I needed to lay the groundwork and the foundation and education and get the world caught up a little bit before I could start building a team. I think the brand has just resonated globally because of our spirit, our innovation, our can't stop, won't stop mentality, and our ability to withstand the test of time. You know, it most things great don't happen um, in the Shark Tank world of like, you know, overnight success. So, um, yeah. So, um, as I was saying, Holly, like we could talk all day, but uh, I'd like to ask uh, some community submitted questions. So these uh, Founder Plus uh, students who from our platform have asked uh, some custom tailored questions that we sometimes put out. So the first one is from Ali Quach and Ophelia Mendez. They've asked, how have you adapted your marketing as you've grown your product line? What strategies have you found work the best? Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's a great question. I think that, you know, being nimble and being flexible with marketing, because it changes, right? Every year is different. And for those first 10 years, um, I didn't have, I didn't know, of, I didn't know how to market. I was just kind of feeling my way out. Um, but, you know, I think that for us, I mean, even our more recent marketing campaign, Solar Powered Freedom, is all about the fact that, you know, our largest investment today in brand marketing we've made to date is, um, is empowering people to go outside and actually reap the benefits of the sun and maintaining protection, of course, from super good products. You know, um, it features real people, real people doing real things every single day. And it has brought a real fresh perspective for our brand. You know, we want people in, in our brand rather than scaring people. And I think traditional SPF sun marketing tactics would be Talk about sun damage, talk about skin cancer and how scary it's going to be that one year, one year, one in five of you will be diagnosed um, 16 times bigger than brain. All these scary statistics are traditionally done. In, and so but for our brand, we want people to see the sun as their energy, not their enemy. And we want to celebrate real people making the most out of every moment, doing what they love outside in the sun. And we just want to come along for the ride and make sure their skin is protected with SPF. Um, Cody Johnson and Nancy Vincent Parr asked, what was your journey like in a regulatory aspect and getting approval? Ah, oh, it's, it's hard. That's been the toughest thing about building a brand 100% dedicated to UV protection. It's regulated and it's not only regulated by the FDA, it's regulated in every single country differently. So 
So we have um, a big challenge and it actually it's been something that Blackstone has been really helpful for. And my, you know, my dad's always said, find the help you need along the way, Holly. You don't have to do it by yourself. Some of the best advice I've been given because it's never made me fearful of bringing other people into the fold to help us. And, you know, our Blackstone partnership has been now coming this this end of this year will be two years. And they've really helped us from a regulatory perspective, be able to launch these 19 countries in Europe by giving us the resources that we need. So regulatory is something that we've had to really learn. Um, and also, I would say, inspire the FDA and Health Canada and some of the other regulatory agents around this to look at innovation and look at what a sleepy category this has been that nobody, we now care, we can do stuff. So like it's, it's, it's been a, um, a lot of education. And then from, you know, a, a standpoint of being on Capitol Hill and changing, carving out policies to allow SPF in schools, um, that's really something very important to me. And so, you know, bringing awareness to that is really important. So the regulatory, it's not as easy as making face wash, but, um, you know, sometimes that's brings good things in life too. Thank you for sharing. Uh, one last question from someone in our community. Uh, Francesca Pa asks, what is the one action, what is the one action we can easily apply now to our business that you believe contributed to your success? Oh goodness. Um, I think, you know, I would say Seth Godin always says, don't try to create and analyze at the same time. They're very different processes and doing one will always interfere with the other. And I think that sometimes people today get really caught up in doing consumer research studies. Our brand has not, until the last three or four years, we didn't spend money on consumer research because I knew we had a reason for being and we had to do this. Somebody's got to take this job on. And we were so, and as as I hired Amanda, our, our president six years ago, now CEO, um, our head of marketing, our CMO, almost same six years ago. Um, you know, I had to find those people that were so convicted in what we were doing as a brand, our reason for being. I didn't ask a lot of research. I didn't ask for a lot of like, tell me what you want world, because I knew what this world needed. And so I think you've got to trust your gut. And in the early days, especially, um, you know, realize that if you have a real point of difference and a reason for being, you just got to go because it may take years and years for you to get it off the ground or to continue to scale to a size that we are today. But good things take time. And so I think, you know, having the patience, too. And that's why it's so important. I always say you have to be so passionate about something that you literally can't sleep at night. Um, and when you are sleeping, you're dreaming about it. So, you know, I think without that passion, the grit isn't isn't going to you know, you're not going to be there in it to win it for the long, the long term scale of of changing whatever it is you're trying to change in the world. So I think um, make sure that when you start down that path, you're the preparation that you're super inspired, that you're game changing product ideas. And they're, you know, they still come to me every night almost. I mean, we're working right now on 2027 products. So, you know, you really have to um, realize that, you know, you build truly wonderful, beautiful things drip by drip. Um, it's, a, it's a journey. And so be ready for that. Prepare yourself for that. 
You talk about dreaming. I've heard um, on record that uh, some of your ideas you actually dream about and bring them to life, like literally from sleep, like dreaming, like not wish, like kind of, yeah, sleeping dreams. I wake, I wake up. My hus- If my husband was in here, he would say, I can't tell you how many times my wife has woken up, looked over at me and said, what if we could do this? And I, you know, I just think that's, gosh, it's a gift that I've been given to be this advocate in this world for what was an incredibly sleepy category. And um, I don't know who can, you know, God's controlling my dreams. And, and, uh, but I, I am, I mean, one that comes to mind right now, we launched Lip Shade, um, which is putting literally, I've never understood why SPF and broad spectrum UVA and UVB protection is not found in every lipstick in America. And uh, we launched last week, first five shades. And um, I looked back at my pictures, my first swatches on my hand were from 2015. So I don't always dream about them and they happen immediately because you, you have to wait for the world to be ready for whatever it is you dreamed about. And you have to wait for the innovation and the product to um, be in a good place. And of course, you know, launching lip shades in the pandemic wouldn't have been necessarily the best timing when everyone was wearing masks. So you sometimes you, you have to look at the world and decide what, what the right timing is for that. Um, but, you know, I know that skin cancers are often found from my conversations with dermatologists and oncologists. They're often found on the lips and around the eye area and in the most vulnerable thin skin of our body. So, you know, creating this dreamy, balmy, 100% mineral SPF protection in this wide range of colors is super fun because now we don't have to compromise a bold lip color um, in an easy, easy to apply shade that, that you know, nourishes and hydrates, but we don't have to compromise the SPF broad spectrum protection that we can deliver for it and have it be a wonderful experience. So, that one was a long one in the works, but um, but it's it's definitely one of the more exciting. And as we've been able to grow our business at Sephora and scale to have more shelf space and more shelf space, we certainly have a place for it there um, with them behind us. Mm, yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I just think it's, yeah, I've never heard of a founder that kind of dreams of things in their sleep and then brings them to life. Um because dream, dreaming is an interesting thing. Like, I suppose there's, I haven't ever, ever looked into it, but supposedly there's all these meanings behind your dreams. Right. I I believe there are, and there is definitely a meaning behind every one of our formulas that we've brought to life from even uh, the bioretinol. I mean, you know, that came from a lot of conversations I had with doctors about if you could combine the benefits of SPF with bioretinol in a plant-based 100% mineral you know, formula, a serum formula, it'd be fantastic for women and men to get the benefits of a bioretinol during the daytime because at the current, prior to the launch of that SKU, you could only wear retinol products at night when you were completely shaded from the sun. So, you know, some of the, some of the formulas have come from the conversations that I've had with the relationships that I've built over the years. So I would also say to um, the younger founders that asked that question, what can I do? You know, take the meetings, take every meeting, whether you're raising money or not raising money or, you know, if somebody's interested in having a conversation with you, fly to San Francisco, fly to New York, fly, get on the road, um, you know, and and have that share your passion for your brand with everyone. And it may not um, come to fruition for what that conversation was for, for, you know, six, seven years. In fact, 
our first private equity Encore consumer, um, well, Colt Capital was our Series A and Encore Consumer was our Series B. And um, those both came from very early conversations, even pre-Sephora launch. And they were interested in what we were doing and we kept in touch and had those calls. And um, it turns out that everybody in private equity is really nice when when they're talking to young founders and they want to hear what's on your mind and what you're doing. So there's no better person to be sharing those, those you know, having those conversations with because it may not be at the moment that you need their help, but eventually you will if you're doing your job and, and you know, continuing to grow your, your brand. Hmm. So we're going to work towards wrapping up. Uh, we're going to do something called the hot seat round. So rapid fire questions and answers. So just a few pre-prepared ones. Are you ready? Sure. When was the last time you dreamed about a product idea? Oh, four days ago. <laughs> <laughs> Can you share what it is or not yet? I can't, yeah. But the problem with my dreams now is we are planning so far in advance out that I have to really push hard for them to go through the product pipeline because we're, like I said, we're working on 2026, 2027. And I'm like, wait, no, we got to get this faster. But, you know, sometimes we have learned as a brand how to do things faster and and we certainly know the category of both mineral and clean chemical formulas. And so we're able to do that. And so when some of those dreams, you know, happen or ideas come to me, um, we do kind of exchange them out for things that are maybe more locked and loaded. When are you the happiest at work? Oh, uh, when I'm in the stores. When I am walking through Sephora and just telling everyone how grateful I am for their support of helping us build. And I'm headed to Atlanta in the morning. I'll be in uh, 12 stores there. Um, I think, you know, it's it's something I've, I've lived the difference of being, um, you know, seeing what our brand looked like in 2011. And here we are 13 years later, uh, almost 13 years later. And the tremendous growth and and the change that we're making for the health of our world. Um, it's just, I can't not be in our stores as much as possible. Where does your passion come from? Making the world a better place. You know, my it goes to that lifelong advice my father gave me is, you know, um, and I love those moments, I think, and they're really inspiring to me. Those moments where people come up to me and say, my favorite product is hand screen. My favorite product is play. My favorite product is um, glow screen or unseen sun. Or men will say, I've never been able to wear sunscreen until unseen sunscreen. I had no earthly idea that, you know, it's completely undetectable, invisible, weightless, scentless. How'd you do that? And I love that everybody everywhere has a different favorite product. Um, and so I find that very inspiring for me to just keep this passion going. Um, because I've recognized from a very early age that not everybody's skin type, color, tone is the same. What's right at age 10 isn't necessarily right at age 40. And what's right in Hong Kong isn't right in New York City. So we all have different needs. There cannot be just one right size fits all SPF. So I find it incredibly inspiring. And, and I get really passionate when I hear other people share what their favorite product is on, in the Supergoop brand. If you could, last question, this is my favorite. Uh, if you could have dinner with any entrepreneur, dead or alive, who would it be and why? Okay, so 
I'm a very routine person. I am very about the ritual. I in the I do I go when I'm not traveling, I am in the gym with my trainer. I go from my cold plunge to my sauna, back to my cold plunge. I write in my grateful journal. I have all of these things. Um, and I almost have to do them every single day. Even if I fly home late at night, I turn the ritual around and do it at night. But I would love to sit down to dinner with Elon Musk and hear how he manages his day. Like I want specifics of, I mean, he's got, obviously got his hand in so many things from SpaceX to CEO of Tesla, now Twitter. Um, he's got to have some rituals in his life that like I could learn from, but like I can't imagine doing what I do all day and and with more than one brand. And so I think um, I would just like to, from a pure logistics, like how do you map out your day and what do you do? It would be a very interesting um, I just want to focus on a day in your life. Tell me what you're doing. What are those rituals? Yep, that's a common one. Awesome. Well, we will wrap there, Holly. Thank you so much for your time. And this was an incredible interview. It's going to help a lot of founders in our community. So congratulations on all your success thus far. And uh, yeah, thank you again. Thank you for having me, Nathan. This has been so much fun. Have a lovely evening. And um, I look forward to keeping in touch. Hey guys, I hope you enjoyed this interview. As you might already know, our mission at Founder is to help tens of millions of people every single week with our content, either start or grow their business, which is exactly why we're partnering with world-class founders such as Damon John, Alexa Von Tobel, Greta Van Riel, and so many more to teach crucial skills such as negotiation, finance, e-commerce, and so much more. So if you'd like to get access to these free exclusive trainings, please go to founder.com forward slash free. These are 100%. We go super in depth on teaching a particular topic, and I know that you're going to love them if you enjoy this podcast. So just go to founder.com forward slash free. All right, guys, I'll see you in the next episode.